0: Want to get a real shower, not a Gatorade bath, because
1: I want to get focused on Alabama. They got a five, six hour head start. So I'm not, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm not interested in celebrating that. We'll look back on that that win and that'll be great, but
0: we're focused on the task ahead. That's thats the objective and that's what our guys, you know, they worked
1: their tail off for three to four weeks to get this opportunity. And it was a one game season and now it's
2: another one game season. I'm not focused on Gatorade baths. But you guys, gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy.
1: (laughs) The anticipation of the mayo bath and then I got hammered in the back of the head by the cooler before they dumped it on me. So I may have a concussion uh, from that. And then on top of that, I got the mayo. And uh, it was awful, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm so glad I got to experience because we won, but it was even more awful than I thought it would be, to be honest with you. I mean, these pants and and I changed shirts, but it's, it's, it's I mean, I got mayo in my pockets and,
3: and I'll be getting mayo off of me for months. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Breton I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, do we got a show lined up for you guys. We've got a terrific guest coming on the line here, joining the show. J.C. Sherbert, owner of the Big Spur, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Going to go on a deep dive on Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks following... Uh, their big win there in the Mayo Bowl. So looking forward to that. And we got uh, all the coordinators from the upcoming national championship game. We've even got a coordinator higher here in the SEC. So let's get right into it. And we all know Nick Saban down there in Tuscaloosa. Loves to give him them ass chewings. Lane Kiffin sure knows what we're talking about. And so does one Pete Golding. Here's uh, the Alabama defensive coordinator when asked, these ass chewings, have they slowed down at all this year?
0: Hi, Pete. Thanks for the time. Uh, My question, I heard from a couple people around the program that uh, Nick Saban has dispensed
1: fewer of the proverbial ass chewings this year. I'm wondering if that's accurate. Uh, absolutely not accurate (laughs) no no I mean I think uh obviously whatever you do here uh you know coach going to make sure that you do it to the best of your ability and you do it the way you know he sees fit uh which I enjoy you know I think that's the thing as a player as a coach I think you always want to know what can I do better how can I improve and I think a lot of times you know whoever you work for whatever profession you're in sometimes you don't get that you don't get the feedback back and and you don't know so I think the good thing about him is is black and white and you're gonna know
3: well, it was, uh, you know, Nick Saban's been very clear. He's been easier on this team, a younger team, not as many veterans on this Alabama football team. But that does not mean that the staff is not getting the wrath of one Nicholas Saban down there in Tuscaloosa. So I, <laughs> as soon as I heard this, I man, we got I had to start with that clip because, uh, hey, Pete Golden says he enjoys them. So. There you go. He's the opposite of Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin certainly didn't look like he ever appreciated those. But, hey, all jokes aside, we're going into this national championship game. Alabama-Georgia once again facing two out of three games. Pretty remarkable situation that we've got here heading into Monday night's game in Indianapolis. And that is a theme all these coordinators were asked about. It's kind of a uh, NFL-like atmosphere here when you got division foes that sometimes turn around and play each other, you know, twice in a month, something like that, and you know, I hadn't thought about it quite like this until recently, but we got Todd Bunkin, of course, with his experience with uh, the Tampa Bay Bucs, Cleveland Browns, we got Bill O'Brien, New England Patriots, Houston Texans. These offensive coordinators are in a u- unique position that, uh, you know, they live life in the NFL. Nick Saban too, Kirby Smart. I can't remember if Kirby Smart's got a year in the NFL or not. But, you know, more of these offensive guys is who I'm really looking at because they've done it much more recently. uh, And I don't know if uh, either of these defensive coordinators. I know Dan Lanning, he doesn't have any NFL experience. I don't believe Pete Golding does either. So, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, this is going to be the difference in the ballgame or anything, but would not be surprised if these offensive staffs maybe. Now just pick something, little tidbits up here and there, life in the NFL. And that's something Pete Golding kind of hits at here. You know, we've only got a week to prepare for this one. It's much different than the semifinal where you get to scheme up for a month to get ready for a college football playoff game. So let's kick it over once again to Pete Golding, the Alabama defensive coordinator on, you know, they had so much success against Stetson Bennett. Hell, they've had success against him twice. And part of that is is mixing it up, what uh, the Bennett's going to see at the line of scrimmage. That is something that uh, Pete Golding discussed here.
0: Nick Saban had said after the, the last Georgia game that part of the success
4: against Stetson Bennett was kind of changing the picture on him. Just what's the challenge of having to do that twice now and having a quarterback who's already seen your defense and having to call plays for another 60 minutes against him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's tough having to play somebody twice. I mean, I know everybody talks about that and all that. But, I mean, if you look at the NFL, I mean, you're playing everybody in your division twice. You know, I mean, I think the big thing is – and any quarterback, you know, what they see is not what they need to get every snap. And I think you're trying to make him make the decision of what coverage it is, what front is it, you know, what pressure it is once he's got the ball in his hands. And, you know, so I think the key is, you know, in a pre-snap read, you know, he thinks he's getting this look and then the ball turns over and now now it's a different coverage or it's a different pressure or it's a different front. And then now he's got to think, you know, I think, you know, there's no difference in disguises to me on defense from the front the coverage and all that than like on offense with motions and shifts and trades. They don't put in new plays every week. You know, they're just getting to them differently. It's a different formation. It's a different shift. They're putting in a different spot. So they're tweaking things, but it's, it's still what they do. It's their bread and butter. You know, so I think you know defensively, it's like how can you keep things the same but make them look different, and that way your guys have carryover. They understand the rules, so if they see something new, they can let the rules apply. So, yeah, absolutely, it's playing the game. You know, making him think. Uh, they got a lot of weapons at a lot of different spots that create some matchup issues. Uh, they're gonna move this tighter in and around and try to you know create the matchups they want with him. Uh, they got really good backs uh, that are issued covering out of the backfield. So uh, you got to pick your poison sometime. Uh, you're not going to be able to get everybody you want doubled or the person you want on them uh, based on the formation they're in. So, you know, our guys are going to have to cover well and play well.
3: This goes back to something I said on a recent show. It's not like these guys are going to be able to reinvent the wheel heading into this national championship game. They kind of are who they are. I really think it's going to come down to execution on the field, as, uh, you know, coach speak as that is to say. But, You know, what can Alabama throw at Georgia that uh, they didn't see and vice versa when we're talking about two programs that have played each other two consecutive seasons here with a lot of the same players on both sides of the ball. I know, you know, there's been turnover at Alabama a little bit more than on uh, the Georgia football team, but hey, it's going to come down to these subtle differences that these coaches and we'll get to uh, Bill O'Brien, Dan Lanning here in a moment because Clearly, you know, they were asked a couple of questions here. They were keeping things close to the vest. So it's not like there's going to be no adjustments, but I just don't think there's going to be any radical adjustments made in this football game. Alabama, Georgia, we know who they are. We know who the star players are, and we know who the complementary players all across the board. So that is something that Bill O'Brien, like I said, he talked about here on his Wednesday media availability and his history scheming up for these rematch type ball games
5: just as a general rule of thumb with a rematch I mean you had a lot of experience with those in the NFL where where do you start from scratch do you start from where the last game left off how do you how do you deal with all that information that you got from the last game
6: yeah it's tough it's tough I think you you um, you have to do a little bit of both you have to go back to uh, the drawing board, so to speak. You got to start from scratch. You have to look at the last game. You got to go back and review the whole season, your season, their season. Uh, it's a long week, you know. They have a great defense, um, you know, a, a, almost like a generational defense. You know, they 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 have amazing stats and they 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 play hard. They play good. They got a lot of great players, great coaches on that side of the ball, um, and so it's going to be a challenge for us.
3: And of course, one of the key difference makers here. In the SEC championship game, Alabama does not win that football game without Jamison Williams. Now he had John Menchie to kind of help him out there in the first half of that ball game. And then Jamison Williams, even to open the third quarter, scored a big touchdown. That was kind of the dagger for the Georgia Bulldogs first time around. That's going to be critical, getting the ball in Jamison Williams' hand. It, It certainly looked like in the semifinal, he kind of shifted his role a little bit. Was a, a little less of the deep threat option. I think Alabama knew, you know, they really didn't have to use that deep ball, ground and pound against Cincinnati. Not going to be able to do that against the Georgia Bulldogs, considering how dominant they are on the front seven there. But the we all know, you know, if you can call it a weakness, it's that secondary for the Georgia Bulldogs. They have got to get Jamison Williams going. Bill O'Brien was asked about it again, keeping things pretty close to the vest here.
5: Yes, Bill. Uh, you've been around some tremendous receivers in in the career you mentioned. Um, what makes Jameson special, and are there qualities from guys like Hopkins and some others that you know? Is there any are there
0: any similarities uh, with him to some of the great uh, receivers you've coached in your time?
6: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I've been very fortunate. I, I've I've coached a ton of great receivers. Um, and, and Jamison, relative to the stage of the career that he's at, you know, being a college player right now and having a chance probably to, to play pro football, he's got great speed, he's an excellent route runner, and he's a very competitive guy. He's a very instinctive player. He's a very smart player. Um, and and I can't say enough about his competitiveness. He, he's a he's a player that goes out and, uh, and practices every day like it's a game. And so I, I think that's something that, the great ones have those traits. Everybody's a little bit different, you know. Everybody's built differently. Everybody has different, you know, skill sets, different speed, things like that. Uh, but the the best ones that I've been around and Jameson's in that category, um, you know, they all have that competitive spirit that's really hard to hard to find sometimes.
3: And then uh, one other item, you know, we talked about it uh, on the last episode with uh, Jim Harbaugh potentially jumping to the NFL. One name that is popping up. It's wild how these coaching searches go. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's still at Michigan, yet, hey, we got a hot list here of uh, guys that may be replacing him if he does jump to the NFL, and that number one name one Bill O'Brien. So, you know, could Bill O'Brien be leaving for the Michigan job? Could he be leaving for another NFL job? Well, We'll have to wait and see, but I do think he's in a unique position where he's been on Super Bowl teams he's been in the NFL it's a business and for Bill O'Brien it's a business he's asked about uh, these other uh, job opportunities and if that's a distraction at all this week considering he's done this before I don't think it will be and that's uh, kind of what he has to say here uh, on Wednesday
0: Bill just what's been your approach in, in your process if your name has come up these past couple weeks for other college jobs your NFL jobs just deciding whether there's mutual interest on in your part
6: that you know, it's one of those things that happens all the time. You know, it's it's part of the part of the career, part of uh, what you sign up for. I don't, you know, my my, my focus has always been on the task at hand, and that's just the way I operate. Um, you know, I just think that uh, this is a great opportunity for this program, and uh, you know, we have put so much work into this that, and and really, like if you're here, if, you, if you're able to follow us around for a week that your focus is completely on, on Georgia and your team and what you have to do to try to help do your part to help your team win. So uh, that's what the focus is.
3: Now jumping over to the other side of this game, one guy that uh you know, a different kind of distractions, the guy that uh Bill O'Brien's going to be scheming up against Dan landing, the defensive coordinator for Georgia. Of course, he is moving on to Oregon as soon as this game kicks off the new head coach of the ducks, but you know, what's the storyline? It's something everybody and their mother's talking about heading into this Alabama-Georgia game. Got to get pressure on Bryce Young. That was something that uh, Georgia struggled to do. And it certainly seems like the teams that uh, have had success against Alabama have been able to get that pressure on Bryce Young, have been able to take advantage of Alabama's offensive line, yet Georgia was unable to do that in the SEC championship game. So Dan Lanning was twice asked. Basically the same question twice, just worded a little bit differently. How do you get to Bryce Young? What went wrong in that SEC championship game? Let's kick it over to Dan Lanning.
5: You you uh, uh, you uh dealt with this some uh, in at the Orange Bowl, but obviously the no sacks against Alabama last time. And a lot of the narrative was that Georgia didn't try to pressure the quarterback that much, but you know, I certainly don't look at it as uh, – uh, Educated as you do, but it looked like that you guys were really trying some stuff to get to him and just couldn't get to him. So obviously, how important is it to get pressure on Bryce Young this time? And what about the just the whole factor of you know it's just a month later? Do you do a lot of different things? Or do you try to do the same things better?
4: Yeah, um you know, ultimately we want to create pressure. We want to go get after Bryce. As far as how we're going to do it, I don't want to give away all our secrets yet, Chip. I mean, hopefully, we can wait till after the game to figure that out. But uh, yeah, we, I mean, we want to generate pressure, and certainly there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, he's really good at, at avoiding the rush, and, and they did some unique things uh, to protect him. So we have to attack it a little bit differently. But um, you know how we do that? There, there's a lot of different ways we can do it. Dan, not to relitigate the pass rush strategy against Alabama too much, but it it seems like you all had a choice of do what maybe what some other teams had done against Alabama to success earlier or kind of stick with what had worked for you all the first 12 games is, is that too simplistic a way to sum it up or, or is that close to what you saw it as? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think we watch film pretty close and try to see what's successful against the team. And I think they had good answers and played better than we played that day. Um, you know, I think we're always been really pretty, pretty multiple and, and have a variety of ways that we can attack teams. I think we've carried that into every game. So um, if you go back and look at that game, we tried to attack in a lot of different ways and they were more successful than us. I think we'll always have, you got to have answers and um, they had better answers that day than we did, but um, we'll build off of
3: that. So Dan Lanning certainly seems to, to have confidence that his, his unit will be able to get to Bryce Young in this game, does make the note. you know, That's kind of been the X factor with Bryce Young. they I don't think they want him running the ball a ton during the regular season, but national championship game, as uh, was it Dan Fouts and the water boy last game of the season can't hold anything back
5: last game of the year Brent can't hold anything back now
2: i know
3: i mean there you got to imagine Alabama's going to let Bryce Young cut loose and they they may have to cuz i really do think Georgia's going to have more success than they did last time i mean hell you you basically got to sell out to get to Bryce Young and it it certainly seems like Dan Lanning's got confidence that his unit can get back here but what how will Bryce Young make him pay with his arm with his leg in the national championship? That could be the difference in the ballgame. And uh, last thing from Dan Lanning here. Interesting. Asked about the pressure on the Georgia Bulldogs. We all know 1980. How many times we've we seen that on Twitter in the last 20 years? <laughs> this there's a lot on Georgia's shoulders heading into this championship game. Any extra pressure? Not on Dan Lanning, he says.
0: Hey there, coach. Um, It seems like in the past few years, you know, few people have been able to solve Alabama and, you know, LSU and Clemson have had their chances to get one over Alabama. But does it feel
1: like there's almost this accumulated pressure on Georgia, given how many swings this team has had against Alabama in consequential games? And also just the added pressure that it's happening again in a national championship. And, you know, there's that whole 41 years thing hanging over your head, too.
4: Yeah. None of that's hanging over our head lane. At the end of the day, we, I mean, we want to go perform to the best of our ability. Um, we want to, we want to execute at a really, really high level. Um, it's, but ultimately it's not about them. It's about us. We want to go play our best game. And if we play our best game, we feel confident that, um, you know, that we can win that game. Um, that being said, they're a really good team and they deserve all the credit in the world for everything they've done uh, over time. Um, but so are we. So we expect a good game. We expect a tough challenge, um, but there's, there's no more pressure outside the room than the pressure that we put on ourselves to perform at a high level. I know that. And I know how much our players care, how much our coaches care. So we're going to have a great plan and we got to go out there and execute. And I think we can do that.
3: Of course, maybe that's a little bit easier to say when you got one foot in Eugene, Oregon and and out the door, he's not going to have to hear about all off season. If the Georgia Bulldogs lose, of course, he'll be a legend. Should he win and hell they'll, they'll welcome him back into Atlanta in the season opener there. (laughs) when Oregon and Georgia face off if uh, Georgia finds a way to win this football game. But, hey, maybe the coach that's got the most on his shoulders in this football game, Todd Munkin, the Georgia offensive coordinator, got to get Stetson Bennett going. This is twice now, excuse me, three times, twice this season, but three times Todd Munkin, Stetson Bennett have had a crack at Alabama's defense, Nick Saban's defense here. And, you know, I don't want to say they failed the test each time because they've had – They've had uh, the first half lead in Tuscaloosa. They had a solid outing in the SEC championship game. It was really Georgia's defense that let them down in that second quarter before, uh, you know, it was the second halves that have plagued Stetson Bennett and Todd Munkin's offense here. That is something that uh, Todd Munkin kind of harps on getting Stetson Bennett up for four quarters of action against Alabama. If Georgia is finally going to win this national championship. It's going to take a four-quarter effort, no doubt about it. So here's what Todd Munkin had to say about it.
4: Todd, as great as Stetson was the other night, as really good as he's been, there's obviously two games against Alabama that are kind of blot on his resume. Do you see anything kind of common in those games that is instructive about this one, or did you see those two games as just kind of separate from the rest of what Stetson does?
2: Well, I mean, I don't see it as, as uh, you know, that those two games are going to predict the future. I don't, I don't see it that way. I see it as, you know, he's played, I don't know how many games of starting quarterback. And like any player, they've had their moments where they haven't played up to what they believe their standard to be or we believe that standard to be. Um, it just so happens to have come in the second half against uh, the team we're about to play. But, you know, we just need to understand that the first two halves of each of those games was outstanding. And and I've said that before, you know, he, he has everything we need to be successful offensively and, and our issues with turnovers aren't his issue in particular. That's everybody in this country. If you turn the ball over, you're not going to win no matter how you do it. You know, the first turnover a year ago was a batted ball that he didn't, That was out of his control. Uh, The second interception was a tip pass on an end cut that went directly to him. Now the third one was a poor decision. Um, You know, so the, the bottom line is, is I can do it better as a coordinator to put him in better position to be successful. He understands that, our team understands that. So, you know, I expect him to play well, just like I did last week.
3: And again, the theme You know, all these guys basically asked about it. But, again, Todd Munkin's got experience in the NFL many years there at the game's highest level. He knows what it's like to play a team twice in the same season. So maybe that gives uh, a slight advantage on the offensive side of the ball. Same deal for Alabama with Bill O'Brien, of course. But uh, here's Todd Munkin on his experience in similar situations here that we're going to get Monday night in the national championship game
5: yeah, kind of in that vein, coach, you you, you have an you know, extensive NFL background playing a, a, another team in close proximity just a few weeks later. Uh, uh, t- tell me a little bit about the decisions on what to change, what to do different, what to keep the same, and you know maybe may have the same thing seem different and, and that kind of stuff seems pretty complicated.
2: Well, You're right. It is a little bit different. You do get that in the NFL with your division teams where you play them twice. And sometimes you can play them relatively close together like this is. And, um, you know, and we played them last year. So we've got enough film on what they want to do and they're not going to change. They're successful uh, for a reason for what they do. And so are we. I mean, if you're constantly changing what you do and your identity, I don't think you're going to be very good at anything. So obviously we take from the things that we did well um, and build on that and the things we didn't do as well. And obviously there's calls that that we had that in both games or other opportunities that we didn't get called. So we're looking forward to the opportunity and and the shot at
3: it and uh, they're going to get our best. I can promise you that. All right. But moving on with the show here, big news in the SEC West because Texas A&M has landed their defensive coordinator, and they stayed in division to get it done. D.J. Durkin, Ole Miss defensive coordinator, no more, on his way to College Station, and it's it's interesting because this is twice now. A&M stole their A.D. now they're stealing their defensive coordinator. Man, we got mass. We already had turnover here in Oxford. Jeff Lebby off to Oklahoma. DJ Durkin now off to Ole Miss. Wilson loved the strength coach off to Oregon. Matt Corral, of course, off to the NFL. Jaron Ily the same. A lot of turnover there for Lane Kiffin. So, man, who knows what the Ole Miss uh, Rebels are going to look like next season. But, you know, there's going to be some difficult decisions that are going to have to be made. And Lane Kiffin's got to nail some of these hires to keep the momentum going. And, you know, it's not often you see two coordinators leave a program and Neither one of them promoted to a head coaching position both left for other coordinator roles Not sure, you know don't want to read too much into that Jeff Levy going to Oklahoma. He's an Oklahoma graduate So that makes sense DJ Durkin. I Don't know he's gonna have a lot more talent to work with there at a&m That was probably part of it, but Ole Miss I don't think they get enough credit for the turnaround they had on the field this season Just look at the, the keys Stat of the game. How many points you allow? 2020, Ole Miss was got off of 38.3 points allowed per game. You're just you're not going to win many ball games like that. Ole Miss had to win some shootouts. Completely different story this year. Ole Miss allowed 24.7 points per game. So two touchdowns better. That is just an incredible, incredible turnaround. And of course, the 2020 year was the COVID year. So defense across the board was down. So man just just a really impressive job there that dj durkin was able to do with those rebels and i would even argue that uh the defense there in oxford was probably on equal footing with the offense now maybe that's not fair because matt corral got injured and it you know the second half of the season severely limited of course uh you know he had his heroics there he tried to come up back from well he did come back in the auburn game was not able to come back in the sugar bowl but You know, that certainly played a large role in in Ole Miss offense, not quite having the season they expected. But this is all about the defense, man. I went back and looked at uh, Ole Miss' schedule, and eight of their games, they held opponents to fewer points than their season average. So right off the bat, Louisville, they averaged 31.6 per game. Ole Miss held them to 24. Tulane averaged 27 points per game. Ole Miss held them to 21. Tennessee, here's a big one, they averaged 39.3 points per game, scored only 26 on Ole Miss. LSU averaged 26.5 points per game, scored only 17 on Ole Miss. Liberty averaged 33.6 points per game, they scored only 14 against Ole Miss. Texas A&M, here's a big one, maybe this is why Jimbo uh, looked over there and hired him. averaged 29.3 points per game, the Aggies scored only 19 against Ole Miss. Mississippi State averaged 29.1 points they scored only 21 and Baylor. How about this one? They averaged 31.6 points per game They scored only 14 of course, you got to throw in the, the pick six there by uh, Luke Altmaier, but man just a This looks to be a hell of a pickup here and you know I'm very much in the uh, boat that uh, the players matter a hell of a lot more than coaches in college football and DJ Durkin's going to have him quite The uh, number of elite talented players, not just in the recent signing clause, but still on the roster to work with. So Texas A&M should be poised to be, again, one of the better defenses in the SEC as long as uh, DJ Durkin can come in and adjust right away and there's not a big transition. Hey, but that's not the only A&M news here. More good news for the Aggies because Anaya Smith, their outstanding receiver, and return man he is announced he is coming back for another season he had 47 catches 509 receiving yards six touchdowns along with uh, 259 punt return yards and a touchdown via return and hey aggie fans i know you'll love this he ended his statement here let's go win us a natty so man that's big for texas a&m really good day for the aggies here all Wednesday, just a, a nice little boost heading into the offseason for them Texas A&M Aggies. And one last thing here, jumping on down to Columbia, where we got uh, my man J.C. Sherbert going to go on a deep dive on the South Carolina Gamecocks. But before we get to that interview, just wanted to make this note. He's made it official. Josh Van returning for another season, 43 catches, 668 yards Six touchdowns for the Gamecocks. He's their go-to receiver. And all of a sudden, receiver could be potentially a bright spot for the Gamecocks with uh, Jaheim Bell, Josh Van, Austin Stogner. They've got some nice pieces there. And that's something we touched on with J.C. Sherbert of the Big Spur. South Carolina fans, you're really going to like this one. All right, we're pleased to, uh, hey once again, one of my favorite people out there in the SEC and all of college football, J.C. Sherbert, owner of the Big Spur, of course, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. He's the host of the Inside Gamecocks podcast and the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast with Mike Morgan, who calls games for ESPN. J.C., thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Mike. I always look forward to spending time with you, and uh, love the podcast
0: and the work you guys do. I think uh, I listen to you guys about every day during the the summer
3: of the pandemic in twenty twenty, and
0: you guys (laughs) kept my spirits up about uh, there actually being a season. And lo and behold, there was.
3: Yeah, I mean those were the dark, dark times of uh, college. So, man, I'm just so glad that uh, you know we were able to put that behind us, and and you know it threatened bowl season there for a minute, but man, am I glad the Gamecocks took the field because, man, did they put a whooping on North Carolina in the Duke Mayo Bowl? And let's just start right there, JC. I mean, how big of a surprise was that performance that uh, South Carolina, I mean, in a blink of an eye, they were up 18-0. I didn't know they were going to score 18 points in the ball game. How surprised were you that South Carolina was just played so well in that game?
0: Well, I mean, it was, it was it was one of those games where you, you looked at it and, you know, when you're looking at North Carolina, uh, Mike, I, I think that sometimes the best defense you can play against those guys is to keep your offense on the field. South Carolina, if you looked at it, dominated time of possession. They had like 39 minutes in the ball game. Uh, they were able to run the football. When South Carolina was able to run the football this season, they were pretty good offense. When they weren't, they were god-awful. Uh, so, you know, that was an important part. Uh, I think to carry and join her playing quarterback was a, uh, a masterful decision by the coaching staff. It was something that, you know, Helmut Granahan from the BigSpur.com and I had gotten word about about two weeks before kickoff. And we were like, eh, this information probably doesn't need to go anywhere, <laughs> you know, right now. <laughs> uh, that would be, that's, you know, and, and I think it. they did a good job of keeping it quiet and they kept North Carolina completely off. Off balance uh, with that. You know, he had no film on Joyner. Uh, He drops back to throw that first touchdown pass to Jaheim Bell. And man, what a beautiful throw. I mean, I don't think anybody thought he could throw it like that. And he could. He went nine for nine for 160 yards. Uh, And then the personality use really got better for Carolina. Bell, uh, number zero, is a guy that kind of came in as a jack of all trades. He's a tight end, he's a running back, he's a wide receiver. Um, was hurt for a lot of the year last year coming off an ACL. But it really, when you talk about South Carolina's top weapons, he has been, when given the opportunity, a top weapon. Uh, and you see how they used it. First play of the game, they to uh, him 20 yards rushing. And then the two long passes, and, you know, he was all over the place. And then Kevin Harris, obviously, it, it, with this finale as a Gamecock, 31 rushes for 182 yards. That's the Kevin Harris we all saw last season. And I think what people expected this season out of the running backs in the run game in South Carolina, uh, and then the defense. Anytime you can hold Sam Howell to three yards rushing against the Tar Heels. Uh, as you know, in, in North Carolina, I wouldn't say they're limited in the passing game, but they're not like they were last year as far as uh, vertical weapons and all of that. Uh, a lot of their offense came from Howell's ability to improvise with his legs and gain positive yardage in that manner. And boy, the Gamecocks just shut him down. The defensive line dominated. Uh, and and that's that's to to beat a team like that, uh, you need great defensive line play. You need to limit the quarterback run opportunities. You need to stay on the field on offense. The Gamecocks dominated in all three of those categories, uh, and really dominated the game thirty eight twenty one. You know, a lot of old school South Carolina fans were happy because they don't like losing to North Carolina. Uh, that goes back to the old ACC days. <laughs> um, and there are not a lot of those guys left, but there's still some out there that, boy, they'd, they'd rather beat North Carolina than anybody else. So, certainly, uh, to cap a seven-win year when nobody expected it with that kind of win over a team you want to beat every time you play them, uh, that's very big.
3: Now, I think the obvious question, the big question there with uh, Gamecock football heading into the off season. What can you tell us about Marcus Satterfield? Are you anticipating that, uh, you know, maybe he saved his job and he's? Ret- do you think he'll be back for year two under Shane Beamer?
0: Yeah, all sides point to, to him coming back. And, uh, look, let's be honest, it wasn't the greatest year for Marcus Satterfield, even with, you know, some surprising performances like the Florida game and North Carolina game uh, by the offense. You know, it just seemed like when they weren't able to run the ball, they had no answer, uh, you know. It's part of that, they're obviously going to point to the quarterback situation. Uh, so all those excuses are going bye-bye next year. You know, South Carolina mm-hmm. uh, has brought in quite a quarterback class with Spencer Rattler out of the portal, uh, and then two four-star kids and Tanner Bailey and Braden Davis uh, coming in as freshmen. Uh, plus, you get Luke Doty; he'll be healthy back. So the quarterback room takes a different dynamic. Uh, South Carolina will have more playmakers on that side of the ball and I think every offensive lineman's coming back as well so you know those excuses are going to be out of the window uh all signs now point to him being retained uh, I don't want to say that the bowl game necessarily saved his job but I think with a bad offensive performance and a loss in that game uh it may have been necessary um and, and I'm not sold still uh I'll be honest I'm not i I've had that opinion uh, about the offensive coordinator situation since about game four. And, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm not changing that. But it's not productive. You know, once the decision's been made, it's not productive for me to sit around and keep hammering it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens next year because some of these excuses are going out the window uh, as far as, you know, the personnel limitations with this offense. And I, and I think, you know, the one positive thing about Marcus Satterfield is he's not really afraid. You know, here's a guy that, uh, to his detriment at times this year, isn't afraid to dial up a trick play or something like that. Um, Very creative. I thought the the game plan against North Carolina was, you know, he had some creative kind of bells and whistles kind of stuff on top of a solid foundation. Uh, I think if he struggles, uh, it's the foundation of it. And and I think it's almost like a do-too-much kind of deal. Uh, The adjustment from pro football to college football, trying to kind of get out of that. Mindset where there's too much nuance uh, in a pro offense, and, and college is more, you know, hey, let's get it and go. Uh, those are the kinds of things he struggled with. So hopefully, uh, as we move into 2022, uh, with revamped personnel, better players, a better quarterback room, uh, and a lot of returning guys that are in their second year in the system, uh, hopefully it gets better. You know, and, and we'll see what happens after that.
3: Now this may be a, an impossible question to answer because we just we never really got to see it, but. Do you think at all that, uh, you know, the offense we saw in the bowl game, maybe that's kind of what South Carolina was hoping to do with a healthy Luke Doty and a healthy Kevin Harris, uh, you know, entering the season? Do, do you think that's a possibility at all? And then, you know, when they suffered their injuries, it's it just kind of just threw a wrench in the whole thing? Well,
0: yes and no. Um, you know, I, I think that obviously Luke going out, uh, with the foot injury and then trying to play on it where he's very limited, hurt their ability to run the ball. Um, you know, there, there's still some things that you look at, and, and kind of head scratching. Uh, you know, Kevin Harris obviously uh, was not the same back a lot of the time through this season. You know, couldn't really get it going. He's a downhill guy. and You know, the offensive line, you know, took a big step back this season. Uh, really no excuse for that uh other than they were confused and then you know, i think that that's uh when you're confused you know i think that uh that points to coaching right because it's the coach's job to do something your players can learn um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean there, there's no question that like what they were planning on doing this season you know which and, and really realistically what you can do with a zeb nolan is a lot different than what you could do with luke Doty. Uh, i think there's something to call into question it's uh you know, because people keep talking about the third string quarterback, Jason Brown and all that. Yeah, he was third, but you have to ask yourself why, why was, why was this guy not able to go out against Eastern Illinois, uh, a bad FCS team and have success and get his feet wet and, and be the guy, because if you're going to have blocking problems, you know, Brown at least has that elusiveness uh, to keep his eyes downfield and make plays off schedule in the passing game, which is something they desperately needed. But, um, all in all, yeah, I, mean, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I think the things they were planning on doing uh, with Doty is kind of similar to what they did with Joyner and the bowl. Um, and I think you can also, after the performance by Joyner, maybe call into question when you compare what he did at receiver this year, which was average, you know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe they should have played Joyner at quarterback. And, and And not like that's a big old bunch of – hot takery there in hindsight by me because I wouldn't have thought it and nobody else would have either. Uh, But, boy, Jorner, you know, kind of changed the dynamic of things when he was out there. And, you know, for a team that struggles protecting and and blocking at times, you know, that's the kind of guy you need. He's helpful because he can squirt out of there and, you know, get yardage. Instead of looking at the stat sheet, you're minus 50 yards rushing. You, You have 64 on the plus side from him. Uh, and that can make a big difference in a football game.
3: Right, right. So looking back at the first year in you know, the highs and lows, but it certainly you got to think that this was a, a massive success year one under Shane Beamer, considering, uh, you know, the injuries and, and how difficult it is playing in the SEC. And you got Clemson uh, to close out that schedule. What's your overall grade for Shane Beamer? You know, what, and what kind of stands out from his first season there?
0: I'll give him an A-minus because, you know, they, obviously there was a lot to be desired on offense and there were problems on that side of the ball. And, and look, the defense this year at South Carolina wasn't perfect. It was massively improved. And they had some games where they looked great. Um, but first year uh, with a program that's accustomed to losing, you know, the last two years, you know, South Carolina was 6-16 six and 16, uh, the last two years under Mustchamp, and then Mike Bobo at the end. You know, to turn it around and to get to seven, you know, to win one more game than you did the last two years combined, uh, I think is a massive start, you know. And, and I think w- when you look at it, you know, the Clemson game was a disappointment. Uh, it probably wasn't as dis- disappointing as the loss at Missouri, where they only had 250 yards against a terrible defense. Uh, but those two games were disappointing, but. You know, you kind of look at the last five, and three of them were, were good wins, good solid wins. I mean, you know, people say, "Well, Florida had given up," uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I saw that Gator defense play pretty well against Missouri and Florida State and UCF, but uh, obviously South Carolina was able to get some things going against them, and you know, they caught Auburn by surprise. Auburn struggled down the stretch, with the exception of Alabama and then the North Carolina thing. Uh, but but it doesn't matter. You know, when you're in that type of situation and you're accustomed to losing, getting wins over those programs who obviously, you know, got an outsized amount of hype compared to the Gamecocks of the off season, that helps. That helps build your brand. It helps in recruiting. It helps show people that, hey, you're headed in the right direction. Um, you know, you can go into a recruit and say, all right, you know, you like Florida, you like Auburn, you like North Carolina. We beat all those teams this year. And, you know, South Carolina is a program, Mike uh, – Interesting stat, since 2010, this program owns eight wins over uh, the four teams in the playoff. They hadn't played Cincinnati, but they've beaten Alabama. They've beaten Georgia uh, five times, and they've beaten Michigan twice. And, and, you know, South Carolina sometimes isn't considered like, oh, they're kind of an also-ran. But, you know, and not all of those were under Spurrier. champ beat Michigan and Georgia. So, you know, this is a program that is capable. And I think that having a winning season, getting it back to that baseline standard, uh, which is seven, seven six, seven, eight wins and a bowl trip—that's the—that's as bad as it should get at South Carolina. Uh, was it was a big, big deal uh, for Beamer as he continues to try to add players, you know, tweak the roster, that kind of thing. And you know, I'm I'm sure expectations in 2022 with the guys coming in and the guys returning uh, are going to be a little bit higher. Uh, and so we'll see what he does with it then.
3: Mm-hmm. And how much juice did it bring to the Gamecock program? And, and specifically, I'm talking about the fan base and and everything you, you guys got going on at the Big Spur, the go-to site for South Carolina athletics. But you know, you bring in Spencer Rattler, a guy who completed seventy percent of his passes, forty touchdowns. He was a legit Heisman contender, and I know things didn't go, you know, the way he wanted at Oklahoma, but you can't judge them off that. You got to judge. I think the addition of Spencer Rattler, based on what South Carolina had to work with at the quarterback position all last season, uh, just you know how much uh, you know life did that give that program, and 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 how much does that pot- potentially expedite the the building process of, of what Shane Beamer wants the Gamecocks to be?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Mike. You look around college football. There's a ton of success stories. Uh, that have been written by transfer quarterbacks. Um, I think some of these guys just make decisions based on brand. They don't even look at depth chart because they all think they're great. Then they get there and they're like, oh, my goodness. Now, obviously, that wasn't Rattler's case because he was the starter for a year. And then uh, Caleb Williams just beat him out. I mean, that's just kind of what happened. They were, you know, a better football team with Caleb at quarterback. Uh, but, but what I think this does is it solidifies the room, right? You know, because you – you got question marks. You know, Luke Doty coming off an injury, uh, uh, you know, he's been set back city, you know, thrown into the fire as a freshman, uh, prepared off, off season as a starter, broken foot, wasn't at his best. It really got ugly after he re- re-injured his foot in that Vanderbilt game. Couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, you know, Zeb Nolan's gone on. He was less than ideal. Uh, you know, so you're really looking at, like, if they didn't have Rattler coming in, you're probably looking at, for real, uh, up to the possibility of Dakari and Joyner starting next year, uh, mm-hmm. and I think what Rattler brings, Mike, is, is just stability. Well, now Luke can take a year, and, and Luke Doty can be the backup, and Luke Doty can kind of take a deep breath and pause. His development won't be rushed. He can get his body healthy. He can learn the system more. He can get it down, Pat. So, if, if he if he's in position to do so, he can take over. You got two talented freshmen and T- Tanner Bailey and Braden Davis coming in that help on the backside. But if you didn't have Rattler, it's still a question mark because you're either looking at Joiner, or Doty or a true freshman uh, or Colton Goffier, uh, and you just you just don't know if any of those guys are going to be ready. Now this solidifies things. You kind of know, but there'll be a competition, but you kind of know who your guy is going to be. You can build around it. You can develop behind him. Um, I just think I think it's a, it's a very, very big deal uh, for the Gamecocks in terms of you know, is it going to lead to a SEC East title? I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't predict that. But will it solidify and, and, and add some stability to that position uh, if it's just for a year and let everybody take a deep breath and reset? Uh, I think, yes, it will. So so it's good for this year, but I think it's also good for the future because you don't have to rush anybody into action.
3: Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the addition that uh, is getting overlooked and, and it – it's understandable because everyone's getting, you know, five-star quarterback, you get all excited, but I hope I'm saying his name right, Austin Stogner, the the tight end, you know, you you just can't run this pro-style type of offense to its to its maximum capability without a really good tight end and he has been that in for Oklahoma and and assuming Josh Van returns, Jaheem Bell, he continues to emerge all of a sudden South Carolina who, you know, I'll I would say the, the maybe the biggest weakness receiver options there, now that's starting to look like a strength there, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I know Stardner was huge because if you look at the tight end room, you know, you have EJ Jenkins who was there, who spent the whole year at receiver. 6'7", uh, 240 pound transfer from St. Pat Francis. I think he's got a load of upside. I think the whole question with that guy is, is he really a receiver? I don't think he's an ex-receiver. I don't think he's an outside receiver. I think he's a uh, kind of a flex guy that you can mm-hmm. put in the slot that can make some things happen. Also a very good blocker. So, uh, but he was a receiver. The Jaheim bell to me is a receiver. So this, this was the, some of the personnel use things that you had questions about this year. Um, you know, and they finally started playing him in that manner in the bowl game and you saw what happened, you know, so there's a vertical threat. that can take a top off of defense. He's huge. He's six three two thirty. I mean, you know, Gene Bell's a freak, you know? So, you start using him well, um, but but you needed a tight end because they, they were the numbers were getting low, uh, and then Austin Stogner just provides you with a big, athletic. I mean, he's like those guys that played at Notre Dame uh, receiver. I mean, sorry, a tight end over the years, just your big six six, some change guy with great hands, but also a, a physical blocker, uh, a guy that can get beat you vertically. Uh, you know, just a, uh, and already has some, some chemistry with Spencer Rattler. So, you know, that, that was a huge addition. And I, I don't think South Carolina's done with uh, receiver or skill position talent in the portal yet either. So that they're going to add a couple more pieces. You know, I thought of Marion Brown having the game that he did in the bowl game was huge too. This is a guy that broke Calvin Johnson's touchdown record as a true freshman at Georgia Tech. Kind of had to find his way this year. Again, another personnel use uh, question there. Uh, But they got him some vertical balls, and he he made a guy miss and had a nice red four catches for 61 yards. So at the slot position, you know, there's a guy that, hey, the light may have come on. Um, And you mentioned Van and those other guys. So, you know, that's one of the big things with Rattler. You're going to have to have some guys around him catching passes. I think the Gamecocks have – moved toward that a bit and also will continue to move more toward it as they work the portal, uh, here, uh, down for the rest of, uh, however long the recruiting period goes.
3: Now by my account, I think South Carolina has got five guys that are super seniors poised to return, uh, for Shane Beamer year two. I think that's a terrific sign. I, I think we saw that from Ole Miss and Arkansas. And the, and I think that's why they had such big seasons in, in year two under those respective coaches and considering, all the massive changes there at Clemson and them not having a, an elite quarterback, they came a little bit down to earth. Do you think there's a window there right now? You know, I don't think it's fair to say you can make up the ground and be, you know, surpass Clemson necessarily uh, immediately, but it's starting to seem like that, that rivalry is shifting a little bit. Do you think that that's true? And do you think the Gamecocks can take advantage of uh, all the turmoil there at Clemson?
0: Well, I I think, you know, it's hard because the two programs, you know, obviously they're both in the state of South Carolina and, you know, this year in particular in recruiting in the state, you know, there are certain things if you're Clemson, you should always be able to do it. Number one, that's sign guys out of Greenville County uh, and two of the top guys in the state were from Greenville County. And number two, you should be able to sign just about any receiver you want, especially from in-state and the other two guys are receivers. Uh, and, And so that, you know, recruiting wise, they don't really go after the same players a whole lot. You know, it, it may be that that ends up happening now uh, in this new era we're in, but we uh, don't go head to head. It's a it's a different ball game. I, I think that for South Carolina uh, to really start to say, okay, we're going to get on equal footing with Clemson, you know, they have to start being competitive in the football game. I mean, it, 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 it's almost. What would concern me if I were, you know, just looking at it from a game cost perspective is, and I remember this a few years ago Virginia Tech goes up to Charlottesville, and uh, everybody's talking about this is the the time Virginia will snap the streak. And there's a lot on the line. I think there was an ACC coastal title on the line, and, and Tech goes in there and beats him 38 nothing badly. I think Shane was on that staff. Uh, And that's kind of what happened to the Gamecocks in that game this year. People were like, well, they should be able to at least compete, and they didn't. Uh, And it's been that way, you know, since 2015 when it was a five-point game. There was one offensive outburst by Jake Bentley at Death Valley one year, and it was still a 21-point loss. So South Carolina needs to do it on the field uh, against those guys. But as we all know, Mike, it, it sort of starts with recruiting and starts with you know, getting good coaches in and building your program. Dabo didn't build that thing overnight up there, and uh, it'll take Beamer a little bit to get it going at South Carolina. But you know, you, you certainly like your chances uh, to kind of get on that footing if you're the Gamecocks with all the changes at Clemson. Uh, then you would have had they just kept on keeping on, and Venables and Elliott are still there, and everybody Bates is still there, and they're just uh, they're just ah, oh, we had a down year at ten and three, and. They're going to be back in the playoff next year. Now, they could be back in the playoff next year. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But you like your chances a little better uh, the more instability they have. Uh, But like I said, it's going to, you know, to to get that rivalry back, you know, it's going to take better performances on the field. And uh, unfortunately, it was just disappointing uh, this year. I I, I firmly believe the South Carolina-Clemson game should have gone a little bit more like Iowa State and Clemson. Uh, than, than what happened, um, and uh, and it didn't. So th- that that's that's the next task, and you know you, you still got eleven games <laughs> next year before you got to worry about it. Uh, but I think that's kind of the next step uh, for them to take is they got they got to start being competitive in, in that football game. And I mentioned some teams they had beaten uh, since 2010, and uh, you know there's four wins over Clemson that are in there too. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, hey, in recent years, the Gamecocks have beaten Georgia, and they've beaten Michigan, and they've beaten Florida uh, twice and, and all that. But they, they they have not been able to, to scratch uh, or to sniff a win over their arch rival, and I think that's the next step. Uh, it's, a, it's a very much on-the-field thing. And I'm, I'm concerned that it's it's more mental after what happened this year when, uh, for all intents and purposes, South Carolina should have had a better night defensively and, uh, maybe scratch out a touchdown or so on offense.
3: All right, JC, I really appreciate all your time. Just one more thing for you. Who are you liking the national championship we got up here? Alabama, Georgia, and all SEC final once again. Who's taking home the crown this year?
0: Wow, it's, it's going to be It's so hard to beat a team twice uh, mm-hmm. in college football. As we all know, I mean, the last time I think this happened was Alabama LSU in 2011. But uh, – Look, I um I uh I told somebody the other day, you know, they're like, "Oh, you're going to pick Georgia cuz I picked Georgia in the SEC game and I got burnt." And they're like, "You're you're going to pick Georgia again, blah blah." And I'm like, "Nah, nah I'm just going to roll with the tide. It's one of those things where I'm going to pick Bama until there's a reason not to." And uh I'm curious to see what adjustments Georgia's made on defense. I think Georgia uh obviously went back to being the dominant football team when they played Michigan, but Michigan's not Bama, and uh, Alabama has made a living out of these situations. The times when they're the underdog, you know, they'll show up and beat you and and be prepared. So, you know, we'll find out what happens. Uh, You know, obviously, I thought Georgia was more impressive relative to competition, than Bama and the semis, but – Hey, Georgia was more impressive against Georgia Tech than, than Bama was escaping Auburn, and we saw what happened in that game too. So I don't know that tells you much. So I'm I'm picking the Crimson Tide. Uh, you know, I, I could see it going either way, but just because of a promise I made uh, to my buddy, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Alabama. All
3: right, he's J C Sherbert, owner of the Big Spur. Follow him at J C Sherbert. And don't forget to check out the Inside the Gamecocks podcast and the J.C. and Morgan College Football podcast. He went on an epic rant against all these damn people calling out college football for this bowl system. That's worth a listen alone. But uh, I appreciate you, J.C., I really do.
0: Hey, thanks, Mike. And a happy new year to you guys. And uh, certainly enjoy your work and looking forward to the next time we get together.
3: All right, so just want to say thanks again to J.C. for hopping on the line, going on this deep dive. Very gracious with his time here, so I really appreciate that. They do an outstanding job over at TheBigSpur.com, part of the uh, 24-7 Sports Network. That's the go-to site for South Carolina football, basketball, and uh, just about it, women's basketball. I mean, hell, they cover it all over there. So I really appreciate him hopping on the line. And Inside the Gamecocks with uh, that and uh, Keith Alsap's Locked on Gamecocks podcast. Those are my two South Carolina Gamecock podcast. You've got to check them out as well. But hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out, and we'll catch you on the next one.